Out of the two billion-ish people who practice some form of Christianity, those from each form often seem to differ in more ways than they're alike, except when it comes to the Lord's Prayer. This is one of the few solid commonalities all Christian faith practices share. A prayer so universal and impactful that it has endured for thousands of years against all odds. And probably like the majority of us, I learned that prayer word for word in early childhood. My lessons came from the lips of our founder Ethel Barnhart's heir, the Reverend Dr. Margaret Stevens, right here in the sanctuary during morning chapel when I was a Barnhart School student. This is, we're talking kindergarten, so I was what? I think I was four when I started. I was a, I was a youngin. Um, and like many of us, those words are so ingrained in my memory that I can recite them perfectly without a moment of thought. And that's where the problem lies. We don't even have to think about it. It is so much a part of the script we carry in our heads that the full extent of our understanding often lies in the speaking of the words instead of what those words really mean when they're all strung together. Nancy Merrill gave me a copy of this book. Um, It's by Kathleen McGowan, and it's called The Source of Miracles, Seven Steps to Transforming Your Life Through the Lord's Prayer. She gave it to me not only because of the talks we've done, and not only because she's known the author for many years, but also because a very significant key to my personal spiritual evolution these last few years began when I walked a scaled-down model of the labyrinth at Chartres, France. Mona Ross, jewelry lady, she took me to the Peace Awareness Labyrinth and Gardens in L.A., where I had an extremely powerful experience which completely reshaped my understanding of who I am and the way I'm meant to move through this world. I can't begin to describe the new awakening in my heart and soul that was inspired that day. And like me, Kathleen McGowan had incredibly powerful, life-changing, unquestionably miraculous, absolutely transformative experiences while walking the very same labyrinth form, both the original in Chartres and a similarly scaled-down version in San Francisco. She believes with all her heart that the Lord's Prayer is the perfect formula for dramatic transformation for everyone. Not just Christianity, everyone. When you approach it from the viewpoint of those insights revealed in the labyrinth. If you look at the little square in your programs, you'll see exactly what that labyrinth looks like. And I want you to pay close attention to that little flower in the center. This she calls the rose with six petals. And for McGowan, each petal corresponds to a specific part of the Lord's Prayer. And she's really simplified 
a lot of the models that outline this. Um, but she has them down to individual words, which when you apply them bit by bit, they apply line by line to bits of the Lord's Prayer. And if we diligently practice these steps that she's outlining with the full awareness of what each of those really means, it will create miracles for us and those we love and those we encounter as we go about the business of living and for our entire world. But it's really important that we fully understand. Notice that the title of her book says that there are seven steps to that transformation. And you may be thinking, how can this miraculous formula based on a walk on a path leading to a flower with six petals have seven steps? Because the math ain't mathin', right? Look at that little insert again. And what lies at the center of that rose? Love. The seventh step is love. And why is that? It's not a petal but that which holds the flower together. It is its very foundation. On page 11, McGowan says, each petal represents a different teaching found within the prayer, and the central circle represents the essence and the wellspring of love, as love must feed into all aspects of our lives in order for us to achieve true fulfillment. I say this over and over again because I believe it with my whole heart. Love is the literal key to solving all of the problems of everyone in every situation in the world. It is the key to finally experiencing that heaven on earth we've heard about. And boy howdy, but this lady has a heck of a formula figured out. Now, in order to cover all of these steps in a single month, I have structured these talks to include two of these petals, or two aspects, per week, concluding with that last um, singular step of love. But there's a lot to each of them. So I'm going to throw this out there for your consideration. Now, granted, the other steps in here are only a few pages long. Um, The step we're looking at now, I don't know if you can tell from now, This is what I put into today. This is what's remaining. So these are the other, the other steps that are left. Um, I can fit them in. But there's so much in those few pages per step that I feel like squishing everything into just four 30 minute talks is kind of (laughs) rude. Because here I am, I'm telling you that I've discovered this set of keys which you may use to unlock all of the good that's awaiting you and then giving you what equates to smoke signals or a few bits of Morse code um, and dashes to tell you where to find them and how to use them. Okay? So I'm going to pose a few scenarios, and I want you to get back to me later today or during the week and let me know what you want to do. Here are your options. First, I can squish everything together to fit in those four weeks of January and then tell you where to find the book so that you can dive into it yourselves. Um, I don't have these in the store. I am sorry. Um, Two, 
I can spread the talks out over the next six Sundays or so, and we can all dive a bit deeper. Or three, I can stick with the shorter format, but we can start a study, study group outside of our regular services and do a really deep dive and kind of approach it like uh, the Science of Mind group does when we're in that room. So think about it. Let me know what you prefer. But for now, we'll go with one and two. Um, and here are a couple of my favorite translations of the Lord's Prayer, both of which are said to be literal. The first comes from the late scholar Richmond Lattimore, and it is the translation which um, was used throughout this book. It's the one on the back of your little labyrinth program insert, and it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. As in heaven, so upon earth. Give us today our sufficient bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. George Lamsa, whose works are also believed to be literal translations of the original Aramaic text, phrases it thus, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us bread for our needs from day to day, and forgive us our offenses as we have forgiven our offenders. And do not let us enter into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And both conclude with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I am rather partial to Lamsa's version, simply because he asks that we be given bread for our needs, rather than kind of using words that describe an allotment, right? This is how much we need. It's not up to us how much we need. Um, And I also like that he uses offenses and offend, rather than debts or debtors. Um, or transgressions, or transgressors, or trespasses and trespassers. Um, and that leads me to a question asked of me Friday night after we watched our December movie. And I'm hoping we can find a definitive answer to it by the time we're through with these talks. It comes from Frances, that lovely lady back there um, with the walker who beams at you every week from here. Um, she says... The Catholics say trespasses, and the Protestants say debts. Is there a specific reason they use different words? I don't know. If you do, or if, you're gonna ta- if you can take the time to dive into that and figure it out, please do. Let's come up with an answer. Now, the first step, according to the source of miracles, is faith. And you can see that in your little flower. And it corresponds to the first lines. Our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed or hallowed. Same thing. She says on pages 46 and 47, the foundational lesson of the first petal is to understand and accept that you are part of the creator's master plan. 
As such, you have a specific role to play. You made a promise to God before you were born. It is up to us to figure out what our specific preordained role is and to do it. And how do we figure that out? Well, she provides exercises to help us do that. Um, In fact, she provides exercises to help us fully um, realize the ideas behind each of the petals. However, to go over each exercise during our weekly talks, it would be both confusing and time prohibitive. So although I only have so many hours a week for my fingers to tap away the keys, um, and I'm usually moving, so sitting still is a problem, I will try to have printouts of these exercises done um, by the end of the series if you'd like them. Um, But we're going to keep moving. Now, McGowan breaks each line of the Lord's Prayer, um, sometimes looking only at a singular word or two. And she begins this by addressing our Father. Father. That's the way God's described in most Christian circles. And it's something that we've heard debated in many, many circles and contexts when speaking about faith in a God outside of and apart from ourselves, haven't we? She says on page 47, the idea that God is neither male nor singular, but is instead perhaps both male and female, is gaining more and more believers in our time. In other words, if there's an Our Father, is there also an Our Mother? And she goes on to say, and I like her perspective here, in the way that we as human children petition our parents differently, the same is true for prayer. Think about it. Did you go to your mother for help in the same way you approached your father? Or did you speak to different parents for individual requests? Did you hit up dad when you wanted cash, but run to mom when you needed a hug or vice versa? She says, if you are one of those millions of believers who envision God as both male and female, I invite you to consider the Lord's Prayer specifically as a petition to your father the male side of the loving paternal presence. In this case, the provider. You are not excluding your mother. You're simply addressing your father. Now, moving on from that, let's consider the very first word of Jesus' Lord's Prayer. It sets the tone and delivers the key that Jesus, whom New Thought also calls the master teacher or the way shower, Jesus wanted us to grasp this immediately. Our. Jesus didn't say my father or your father. He said our. It is both plural and inclusive. On page 49, she says this word choice is precise and made with intention as it is the underlying premise of a great understanding that we are all brothers and sisters with one common parent. Furthermore, by using the word our, Jesus is telling us that we are not separate from him either. She goes on to say, and a lot of people have some very big ideas and opinions about this, but listen closely in here. She says, Jesus is not above us and untouchable but rather he is beside us, 
like a sibling, side by side with us in reverence to divine will, intelligence, and love, which is our Father. I have a mantra um, based on one that she uses, which I think hits the nail on the head. And if you agree, repeat it after me. We are one human family. All people are my brothers, sisters, and siblings under God. We are one human family. All people are my brothers, sisters, and siblings under God. So we've covered our and Father, and moving on to the next bit, in heaven. Now here's where Kathleen McGowan and I have differing opinions, but I think we land in the same place when push comes to shove. Uh, She posits that we, who have a divine contract we entered into with God before we came here to this earthly experience, we are here living our best life, as the cool kids say, while God stays in heaven and holds down the fort. We are here to work toward perfecting our soul while living in harmony with and in service to the others who have done the same. She says on page 51, Like any loving parent, God wants what is best for his children. In his efforts to teach and protect us, he sometimes makes the lessons hard, for that is the only way we learn. Have you ever prayed for something that you wanted with all your might, yet still not received it? And later in your life, sometimes years later, you realize that there was a more powerful reason your prayer wasn't answered? Most of us are spiritual adolescents before God, and he will refuse our requests if what we are asking for is not good for us in the long run. And she goes on to say on 53, further to this idea of parenting, what do we do to our children when they misbehave? We often ground them. Think about that term for a moment. You're grounded. Grounding is a good thing that keeps our feet on the earth when we most need them to be. It is a strong tool to make us think about what we've done wrong. Often, when an obstacle is thrown into our path, she says, it is God grounding us. He is not punishing us in the way that the Old Testament God did. This is not a God to be feared. Rather, he is gently but firmly providing us with lessons that will keep us on our path. This is a God to be loved. He is behaving as what he is, our Father. And he resides in the perfect place we all aspire to share with him, heaven. Now here's my take. Um, And you'll see in a minute what I mean about ending up in the same place. Jesus said... In Luke 17, 21, neither can he say, lo, it is here or lo, it is there, for the kingdom of heaven is within you. And in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says, verily I say to you, that if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from there to here and it shall be done. Nothing will be impossible to you. On page 388 of the Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes says, there is more to us than we realize. 
Man is an eternal destiny, an ever-expanding principle of conscious intelligence, the ocean in a drop of water, the sun in its rays. God, as man, is man. The highest God and the innermost God is one and the same God. And on page 151, he explains, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. This gives great light on an important law governing the answering of prayer. Abiding in him means having no consciousness separate from his consciousness. Nothing in our thought which denies the power and presence of spirit. Yes, we can readily see why our prayers are answered when we are abiding in him. And again, we read, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. This sounds simple at first, but it is another profound statement like unto the first. Its significance lies in the phrase, in my name. In his name means like his nature. If we are recognizing our oneness with God, we cannot pray for other than the good of all men. The secret of spiritual power, or in today's context, the secret of prayers answered, lies in a consciousness of one's union with the whole. God is accessible to all people. So, her perspective God is in heaven while we are on earth. When our prayers are denied, he's teaching us tough lessons. But if we look back, we can see how those lessons served us. And sometimes God throws obstacles in our paths to teach us a lesson, to ground us in the view of what is right for us, like any parent would an errant child. But my perspective, the same God that is within me is within everyone. So if my prayer is not in harmony with the totality of my oneness with all that is, my prayer is not so much denied as rendered moot. If getting what I want upsets the balance for those around me, it's not harmonious and therefore will not come to be. If my path is tough, it is not God's punishment or challenge, but a necessary part of my journey, which I may choose to travel with the spirit of adventure or with a wistful look back at all I've traveled through before. Either way, my journey will continue, and I'll add that when we travel forward while looking behind us, we tend to trip, and we end up with a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. So consider, is that God's doing, or is it our perspective that's behind those sore spots? Something to ponder, right? But either way you look at it, Heaven is ours for the asking. As long as what we ask will serve to lift everyone in goodness rather than simply serving ourselves, come what may. Now moving on to may your name be hallowed. And I promise you, I'm moving along here. Hallowed or hallowed means holy. 
This is not some vague warning not to take the Lord's name in vain, although that is not a trivial matter when you consider that, as Holmes and many, many others of wiser minds than mine, they have taught thoughts are things. What are your words but your thoughts made manifest? Watch what you're saying. Instead, McGowan says on page 53, this line means that each and every time you invoke God's love and presence into your daily living, you're creating a sacred place in which to live. Your words are powerful and each has meaning. So when you speak of God, do it with love. But that holiness of thought... It doesn't only apply to what you think and say. It applies to everything. Okay? Think about it. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent. Everywhere at every moment. That's the the bit from Psalms that we looked at today. So, this, this is a core teaching of faith. It says that, Knowing that literally everything is God. Knowing that at every dang moment of every dang day, in every thought, word, and deed, God is. We can trust that we are being lovingly guided. If there is no place we can go where God isn't, no thought we can think that God doesn't know, and no circumstance in our lives that God isn't involved in, not a single one, then we can move through life fully enrobed in the comforting truth that where you are, God is. And so, of course, all shall be well. That's the faith part of these steps. And when you have that down, you can begin to surrender This isn't weakness. It's an ease. It's a relaxation into the embrace of this beautiful gift of life we've been given by a force of love so vast, we haven't enough words to even begin to describe it. Think about it. We are, each and every one of us, so deeply and incredibly loved that we're here We're here right now. What a wonderful thing that says about us and our place. And we can finally grasp that. When we can get that with all of ourselves, we can also maybe begin to see that when we're not doing that which makes us feel vibrant and full, we're not living up to that divine contract we signed before we got here. Right? If we're that important, that God had us be here, why would we not feel happy and fulfilled at every moment? There is no time in any of our lives when we can't begin to seek and seize the joy and fulfillment awaiting us. You're not too young or old. On page 62, she says, We have fallen into a trap of spending the majority of our lives immersed in drudgery that doesn't make us 
happy or fulfilled. It isn't supposed to be that way. We are here to live, not just survive. Our Father wants his children to be happy, and he will nudge you if he sees you are on the wrong path. If God sees that you recognize his nudging, and yet still ignore it, he will often become more forceful. There is a quote from an ancient Gnostic test which illustrates this perfectly, and it is, the father does not sow fear, but pours forth persuasion. Or simply put, jump or be pushed. Seek and find your joy. Moving on to, may your kingdom come May your will be done. On page 69, she says, These two lines of the prayer are your promise to create heaven on earth. Every time you recite the words, Your kingdom come, you are committing to make the world a better place. Your will be done are the words that will help you surrender to your more ego-driven desires. To follow the destiny that God has planned for you. Again, it will help you surrender your more ego-driven desires to follow that destiny that God has planned for you. During difficult or challenging times, when things really seem to be going wrong, or at least not as planned, embrace the affirmation, your will, not my will, be done. There's an old adage which says that God only has three answers to all prayer requests. They are, yes, yes, but in my time, and no, but only because I have something much better planned for you. A beautiful prayer to start the day is, um, and please put this in your own words, um, but this is to give you an idea of where to go, and it's one that she uses. She says, she starts her day with God. I am turning this day over to you. Your will, not my will, be done. Please guide me to do the right thing and to stay on my path in your service and do so with love. Consider the old parable about the farmer and the cow. It goes that there was once a farmer who lived a simple, happy life with his wife of 50 years who had been his childhood sweetheart. And together they built a little farm where they grew a few crops. But the source of their livelihood was a special cow, which gave an abundance of sweet milk. It was the most highly prized in their land. And the farmer and his wife were able to live quite comfortably because of the milk from this single cow. And not only did this cow give sweet milk, but her disposition was even sweeter. So she'd come to be a cherished member of their family. And every night the farmer ended his prayers of gratitude with, Dear God, please keep my beautiful little wife safe and healthy. And God, hearing a prayer of gratitude and selflessness, did exactly that. But then came a time when the crops were decimated by blight. Most of the neighbor's crops have been wiped out entirely, but this couple were still able to survive because of their dear cow. Then, one morning, the farmer awoke to strange silence. Fearing that something had happened, he ran to the barn to find that his beloved furry friend 
was no longer with them. He ran to tell his wife, and together they cried. Their tears, of course, were for the loss of the animal who had been an extension of their family, but also because the milk from that cow was their only source of income. The farmer was at a loss, so he went to the church and he began to pray, Dear God, I am a simple and honest man, and I've always had great faith. Why have you punished me? There was a moment of silence, then a voice filled the chapel. I have not punished you. I've answered your prayer. The same prayer you have said every night for over 50 years. And the farmer shook his head in puzzlement. But how? I don't understand. Came the voice each night. You pray for the health of your beloved wife. And yesterday, your wife was going to search the fields to see if there were any vegetables left that had not been killed by the blight. The farmer nodded, for he knew she had. There were radishes left in the far field that she would have found. But the radishes were poisonous, although you wouldn't have known it by looking at them. So instead of allowing her to find them, I had the cow break out of the barn and wander into the field. The cow ate all of the blighted, poisonous radishes so that your wife would be spared. The farmer cried as the light of God filled him and the church, not at the loss of their beloved pet, but with tears of gratitude. And as he went to his knees, he thanked God for watching over them and asked that God continue to do so. God rewarded the farmer and his wife for their faith. Their crops returned the next season with an abundance they'd never experienced before, and they were able to purchase two new cows, both of which gave award-winning milk. And the farmer's wife, she remained safe and healthy throughout a very long life, filled with love and faith. And so today, finally closing, looking Closely at those first lines of the Lord's Prayer, from a fresh perspective, we've not only found our faith renewed, but we've connected with what faith truly means, and we can live from it in a way we've never experienced before, knowing that we are all one, that God is with each and every one of us, ever urging us on to greater and greater good. And living from this awareness We now go out into a world in which our prayers uplift everyone, not only those in our eye line. We seek to find our true purpose, to become an embodiment of faith in action. And as a result of our newly understood and deepened faith, we can truly feel ourselves ensconced in the perfect comfort of God's love. For we know that wherever life takes us, we're brought there in God's hands. And so we can say that through our faith, we surrender all control to God. Our Father in heaven, which is both within and without us. Your name is holy. May your kingdom come through our hands and hearts as we do only that which is your will. And we say, so let it be. And so it is.